coming from a specific domain of research doesn't dictate what your career journey will look like. Your interests, your strong suits, as well as any extra skills you've picked up during your lifetime, may reveal themselves to be instrumental and key elements in what you'll do professionally later on. In this episode of Papa PhD, Clarissa Wright shares how different life and professional experiences built up and brought her from geology and microarchaeology to launching and editing an online magazine. I think geology like really attracted me because it was a bit like actually figuring out the large from the small. Like there's a saying that like you look into the, the microscopic level to figure out the macroscopic level. So basically, I found it really fascinating. Like a sedimentary rock like represented changes over billions of years. It kind of put everything into perspective a little bit. It, like and. Um, I think the dramatic landscapes of the Highlands as well were like a big inspiration for geology, but art as well. So I tried to do paintings that were like inspired by this. Welcome to Papa PhD with David Mendez, the podcast where we explore careers and life after grad school with guests who have walked the road less traveled and have unique stories to tell about how they made their place in a world of constantly evolving rules. Get ready to go off the beaten path and hop on for an exciting new episode of Papa PhD. Before we dive into today's episode, I just want to let you know that I've prepared for you a resource sheet to help you take a snapshot of your current situation and start defining your profile for the job market in your areas of interest. You can download it by visiting papaphd.com and following the instructions in the website footer. So today uh, we have on Papa PhD, Clarissa Wright. Clarissa focused on her art from a young age, but her interest in science grew as she studied geology at University of Aberdeen, before completing a master's in micropaleontology at the University of Birmingham. After exploring various ideas, she entered the scientific publishing industry in London at Springer Nature, from which she started freelance writing and founded a science communication digital magazine in her spare time. Welcome to Papa PhD, Clarissa. Thank you. Great to be here. I'm super happy to have you here. Um, and uh, I, I'm really eager to hear uh, your story and uh, how you, you, you went from, uh, you know, being a, 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 an artist at a young age, like you, like uh, I was mentioning in the intro, to now uh, creating and developing Nature Evolve, this online magazine. So, uh, yeah, Clarissa, can you tell us a little bit more about yourself, your journey, and uh, where you started, and uh, how you came to to be now in the science communication space? Yeah, sure. So, um, yeah, I've always done like drawing and painting from a young age. And like had quite a big imagination and would collect rocks like from a young age. And yeah, and um, yeah, after school, I was thinking of getting into art, but I found that I was quite curious. So I found that actually I went in to do geography at university. And from there, I actually developed an interest in geology. And actually being out on the hills on field trips in the highlands, like I became like really involved with the rocks and like, it really developed my interest further, like not only in geology, but in the sciences. Like I wasn't interested in science at school at all. <laughs> it was basically like writing and art. Yeah. And yeah, so from there, I, I kind of went down that route. 
but a lot of people in my class were very focused on working in the oil and gas industry. And I wasn't so sure about that because, yeah, it was kind of an attractive idea at the time. But later on, like the oil price kind of went up and down. So actually there weren't always those opportunities there. But eventually I realized I wanted to do something more creative anyway. So I went on to do a master's at University of Birmingham where I studied basically microscopic fossils, which are like really tiny fossils, like, um, which are really interesting, but it was quite petroleum focused as well. I had a friend, a very good friend, who he's now uh, working in microalgae, actually in France. He did uh, his PhD in St. Andrews. Oh, really? <laughs> but uh, I remember his PhD was around the coccolites. I think that's what it's called. Oh, yeah, coccolites. Which are small uh, uh, fossils of... of uh, are they unicellular? Uh, yeah, that's right. Um, calcareous algae. So they're like little algae, little calcareous shells around them. They're really pretty to look at and like draw and a good inspiration for art, definitely. Maybe that's what attracted me to them, like their aesthetics. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I have one curiosity because... Well, actually, I'm, one of my children collects rocks a lot. And now I'm thinking, okay, maybe he's a future geologist. Oh, right. But you need to to see the, the beauty of, of rocks. And as I remember from the classes I, I did have, where, where we saw slices, etc., you need to, uh, almost a microscope, right? You need to go to really small details to kind of, because they are beautiful at the microscopic scale. I'm just curious how the, that curiosity arose when you were uh, on the field in the highlands. What was it that attracted you to 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 this to this area of of science and of of nature? Let's say. Yeah, so I don't know. I think geology like really attracted me because it was a bit like you say, like looking into detail and like um, actually figuring out the large from the small. Like there's a saying that like you look into the the microscopic level to figure out the macroscopic level. So the fact that like. Basically, I found it really fascinating that like a sedimentary rock like represented changes over millions of years. It kind of put everything into perspective a little bit in like your place in the universe sort of thing. And um, I, I think the dramatic landscapes of the Highlands as well were like a big inspiration for geology, but art as well. So I tried to do paintings that were like inspired by this. Mm -hmm. It's true because I went straight to the micro aspect of, 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 of geology of rocks, and but it's true that there's a macro aspect to the mountain chains, the crags, the different formations, and like you were saying, the strata that you can see that can make you kind of travel in time. Yeah, for sure. There's much more. Uh, yeah, I, somehow I, my brain didn't go there right away. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like even like a fracture in a small like grain in a rock can like basically tell you that there was this like big um plate movement you know on the big scale so yeah yeah yeah, yeah. and you can yeah you can travel in time kind of in your, in your head cool so micropaleontology at university of birmingham yeah so it was a master's course and uh so your your um undergrad was it geology yeah, so it was geology and petroleum geology. Um, okay. Yeah, I don't know if you've heard of Aberdeen and like its massive oil industry, but it's, yeah, I think in Texas, like there's a big oil industry there as well, yeah. I've heard about Aberdeen, but I didn't know that, that, that there was oil exploration there. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's pretty big. So, um, yeah, there's a big focus on like the petroleum industry, but kind of everyone was like told that there's massive opportunities and that everyone should go and do like petroleum geology or engineering. Um, 
everyone like sort of went down the same path and I think the market was a bit oversaturated as soon as the, the oil price went down. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, so so that part didn't attract you and, and I, I can I can understand why or because I, I, I wouldn't have been attracted by it myself uh, so much. But uh, so can you tell us a little bit about micropaleontology? Yeah, so uh, micropaleontology is a study of microscopic fossils. Um, so yeah, you can't see them with your naked eye. You can sometimes see like a really small grain, but usually they would be like ancient algae in the shells built around them, such as diatoms, um, coccoliths, and these these tiny things that look like ammonites called foraminifera. And yeah, they're used to um, tell you about environmental changes over millions of years, like these tiny fossils. The different species would prefer different environments. So they can tell you, oh, this rock had this environment. And they can also be used in the oil industry to tell you like what happened when and like basically fine-tune events by like millions of years. Like they found out the extinction of the dinosaurs was a lot was actually like inaccurate time-wise through microscopic fossils recently so you just travel into the into the past in a way but i I, I imagine electron microscopy or or even just light microscopy yeah you can use a scanning electron microscopy but we're we're using like the normal light microscope most of the time and we spend a lot of time looking down there (laughs) so you do slices slices of of uh of rocks yeah of slices or just like sediments yeah i remember the first time i saw because I, I come from biology so slices of you know of soft tissues for me was something easy to, to imagine so the first time I, got, I was presented with a slice of a rock which that by the way was beautiful uh i was really surprised uh and i don't even know what uh what sort of uh, apparatus used to to cut the slices but um uh, it was it was a surprising thing, and it's a, it's a cool universe once you you start looking and you see the different colors of the different crystals or whatever that are. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's very very visual kind of science, I suppose. Great, and uh, I I wonder because uh, your project that we're going to talk about in part two, uh, which is uh, Nature Evolve, uh, has to do with bridging science and art. I'm spoiling a little bit. Uh, I wonder whether. Uh, you know that ever inspired something in you art, of artistic the the you know the different microscopic landscapes that you saw <laughs> uh, uh, in your research yeah i think so um definitely uh, during my studies i often would like do like all these drawings in the field notebooks so we'd have these yellow field notebooks um where we're taking data but i would do all these drawings and yeah um got higher marks for that compared to oh. some other things. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, Excellent. I think that helped along the way. And, yeah, tying into the magazine, I think that idea didn't really come about until I started working in the publishing industry in London when I was working at Springer Nature there. Yeah. So let's – so we'll get there, but let's go back to, to the master's. When you started your master's degree uh, – what what were you thinking, you know, professionally? If you were projecting yourself uh, yourself in two, three, four, five years, one when you you know when you uh, enrolled and started your masters, what did you imagine was going to happen uh, professionally later on? Yeah, so um, like a lot of my classmates, we did pretty much have our sights set on like 
being a micropaleontologist, which is an incredibly niche job. And the only jobs where you could really be that is either as a researcher or, or in the oil and gas industry. And I didn't really realize until after the master's that like, I didn't really want to work in the oil and gas industry. I wasn't, I wasn't sure I wanted to work in it. I, but I think my interest in the subject just kind of paced me along with it. So, yeah. Um, yeah. So by the, like, by the end of the first year, you already felt that, you know, you weren't going that, that way. Yeah, so it was one year of the course and it was very intensive and they actually, it was meant to be quite intensive because it was meant to condition us for industry. So it kind of felt like sometimes, I don't know if I'm exaggerating, but it felt like it was like 12 hour sort of days and like six days a week. And yeah, it was a good course. Um, by the end of it, like most people in the course did take it because they wanted jobs in the oil and gas industry. And like, Like, fair enough, if you want to go down that route, that's okay. Um, but the oil press went down as soon as, well, we graduated. <laughs> so a lot, yeah, a lot of yeah, people yeah. were like, oh, we're doomed. What are we going to do now? <laughs> yeah. I chose the wrong uh, course. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, cause it, yeah, very much had their sights set on this very niche kind of job in the oil and gas industry. And like those opportunities suddenly weren't really there. So, so people had to start thinking, oh, what are we going to do now? Sort of thing. Yeah, and, and how did you come, you know, come to think about maybe going into publishing, which is what ended up uh, happening? So at that time, what were the, the things that you were seeing in the horizon that might interest you? How did you go about exploring them, and how did you then focus on or or, or find that uh, that avenue of of publishing? Yeah, it was quite a gradual process. I think it it was about a year because I had a year of kind of trying different things. And it might sound a bit strange. So um, I decided to stay in Birmingham for another year. And I was, you know, I applied for jobs that were like related to my interests. So I went for this um, travel job, which was to do with managing a travel health clinic. So actually, that was quite good because I kind of learned more about health science and biology a little bit the industry and also kind of like managing a, a small business in ways because it involved like marketing and like certain certain phone duties like that but um it wasn't until about nine months later that I was kind of looking around at what other people in my class were doing and I heard that one girl um was like an editorial assistant at a physics journal and I was like oh that sounds cool what does that involve so I just kind of looked it up and uh Yeah, I was like, oh, that sounds interesting. So I started applying for those jobs and kind of was like, yeah, I'm just going to like push myself to apply for these. But I ended up getting an interview in Cambridge and an interview in London. And then I um, got a job in London at the big publishing house at Springer Nature as an assistant editor. And then I was there for two years during which I think I learned more about science publishing industry, but it wasn't immediately obvious to me, like during my studies, that that was potential route to go down. Yeah. 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 It's, it's interesting because there's a lot of, there are a lot of people out there doing things that while you're in graduate school, you don't, you don't imagine that it's even a possibility, but uh, often what will happen is similar to what happened to you. People in, 
in your network, you'll see, oh, where's where's uh, that person? Oh, she's now doing this. And you're like, oh, this is a thing? Okay, <laughs> let's, <laughs> let's look into it. And I, I, it looks like this is what happened to you. W- one of the things that uh, that this uh, kind of elicits for me is uh, the question of then once you you had kind of uh, honed in on 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 this being a, an editorial assistant, uh, did you go you know did you try and meet with people who were doing it? Uh, did you try and read about what the job entails? How did you prepare yourself? for for the job but even before the job for interviewing and uh and for presenting yourself as a good candidate for that position yeah so um actually my job at the time which was in the health clinic i managed to use that as extra experience because i studied geology and i think maybe during the application process or the interview i kind of mentioned that i familiarized a bit with like health science during my time there. So that ended up supporting that unexpectedly. But um, I basically did a bit of research about the basics of like science publishing, like open access, uh, blind peer review, um, and things like that. And those questions actually came up in the interview. So <laughs> that oh, was wow. useful. So self-reading. And you, so you uh, it appears that you didn't do any uh, um, informational interviews with people that were in the domain or that colleague of yours that you found out was doing it. You you didn't have the, the chance to do that in the meantime. No, no. I might have done a, like a YouTube search of what an editorial assistant does. Yeah. Oh, which is it's interesting. You know, I I'm old school. I would I would have thought like what you were saying before, reading articles, etc. But yeah, now everything's on YouTube. There's a an, <laughs> there's a video on anything. Yeah, <laughs> on YouTube, yeah. Sure. There could be more, probably more things on YouTube. I guess like related. That, that's to a great idea. Things, yeah. And um, so, for the sake of uh, of the listeners out there, can you talk a little bit about your day to day? What what it what the position entailed and. Uh, also, did you did you have some training once you were uh, inside? Once you know, once you were in the position, uh, what was the the learning curve like? Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So um, yeah, it started off where there was like a probationary period, but there wasn't like high pressure. Like it wasn't expected that you were going to fail or anything, but there was definitely a training element. So they would they would train you on different article types that would come in and like what you need to look for what you need to do, what kind of emails to send out and to familiarize with the different journals. So, so yeah, it would take you through stages and then you'd pass the, the first stage, the probationary period. And then, but yeah, actually training was sort of constant. And even like two years in, there were like things that came up that were unexpected, like different issues, you know, um, sometimes like author disputes, it's sometimes really like case by case. So yeah, you kind yeah. of are constantly learning, even like the really experienced editors, you know, like actually a lot of the time, like someone doesn't know everything, like you don't know everything all the time, like unexpected things happen. So of course, yeah. 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 I imagine. And especially if there's some back and forth between the authors and the, the authors and the journals, there, there can be some, some place for some randomness there. Yeah, good. Uh, and and just going back to to what I was uh, trying to get to before. So, 
what was it uh, if someone out there is interested in getting into this position what was it that you did you know on, on a day-to-day basis what was asked of you what were the tasks and the objectives that you had as a editorial assistant Yeah, so um, there are different parts of it. So you'd be responsible for different journals. Um, I think with some companies, you're sometimes only responsible for one. But yeah, so you'd have to make sure that submissions coming in would like meet the journal guidelines, that they should be there. Um, you do the checks to make sure all the content's there as it should be before you send it on to reviewers or senior editors. And you'd also check peer review decisions like further along the line once manuscripts have been reviewed and you'd also make final decisions which is when you you've got a decision made by a senior editor or reviewers and you just need to send out the email saying your manuscript's been accepted or or rejected okay hell yeah (laughs) which upsets a lot of people (laughs) yeah of course to do as politely as possible yeah 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 Okay. Okay. So, and um, was there, because we know now that you eventually uh, decided to start something new and different, but uh, if you, let's say you uh, you would, would have stayed, was there a possibility of then, uh, you know, uh, evolving professionally and in, in your career inside the, the company? Um, yes, but there was, um, there was some limitations and some people in the team did feel those limitations and that was spoken up about like there were team meetings there was quite high turnover actually um a lot of people moving on to do other things they did work quite hard like the company worked to try and like improve the prospects to move up so basically the team kind of said that they should really have bandings so you know what you're working up for so they came up with those bandings so like you can work up to this level and this level after people asked for it, but quite a few people kind of went on to do PhDs or other things. Okay. That, yeah, that actually uh, uh, connects well with what I wanted to ask you uh, now, uh, right now, which is how many people around you when you were there had masters or had PhDs and were in the, in the publish in the publishing space, uh, in the publishing domain? Yeah. Yeah. So someone started on the same day as me and she actually had a PhD Um, actually quite a few assistant editors had PhDs Uh, actually senior editors could like they could become senior editors basically but if you don't have a PhD you can't become a senior editor so you can't you can't really work your way up if you don't have a PhD Um, it's not as easy but some people like had master's degrees I'm not sure if there were many who didn't have master's degrees I think there may be a few so I think yeah because of what you know who or what publishing company we're talking about it totally makes sense but it's it's interesting to see that the same day that you got in someone else got in and, and came with a similar profile but with a phd and then you were mentioning that people were leaving to get to go either do their phd or continue their academic uh work you know working on their academic path yeah a few went on to do phds or actually just other jobs um because there's actually the training that you got was actually really good there's actually quite high demand for that from other companies that had slightly better um i'm not like criticizing the company because it's so enormous and there's actually so many sub companies inside it so it's completely different depending on what part of the company you're working so yeah they yeah went on to other journals i think quite a few people 
Yeah, and often it's like that. You, you can go to a smaller uh, organization, and then you know, and and, and your training will be valued, uh, uh, really very well valued by the people uh, that are uh, that are hiring you. Let's say, cool. Uh, and this brings us to the the next chapter, if uh, if I remember right, uh, which you can you can uh, talk a little bit about now. So, what happened after those two years uh, in the publishing uh, in the scientific publishing domain? Yeah, so I decided to um, continue basically science writing in my spare time, which I'd started while working as an editor, because I was looking to do something a bit more creative. So I decided to focus on that. And I also, um, I started during my time as an editor in London, I started the digital magazine as well. So I wanted to focus more energy on that as well. So um I saw there was a, a need for scientists to communicate their ideas to wider audiences and that they're also under like a lot of pressure to publish, like quite stressed and um, yeah, there's a lot of demand for them to, to outreach to the public because science can be full of jargon. So it's just like simplifying the concepts to wider audiences. So yeah, um, I, since then, I've been working as a, a science writer and as an editor and running the digital magazine. So I've been involved in a few different projects alongside that. So the digital magazine is called Nature Wolf, and I originally created it to bridge science and art together, but also to communicate science to wider audiences. And yeah, it's it's been growing quite fast, which is really good. Um, Yeah, so working on issue five now. So my question to you is, uh, and we're almost uh, at the half mark of the episode. Uh, did you so was writing something you developed while you were uh, working in publishing, or did you write, you know, even before, even maybe during your masters, were you blogging or were you uh, were you doing something in in that area? Yeah, actually, I wasn't doing that much during my master's, but during my time in London working as an editor, I did a few blog articles about some of the research that was published and they went down quite well. Um, so I thought, oh, this is something I could do more of. So I started looking at freelance opportunities in my spare time and I saw there was a quite a few popping up and I, I was like, oh, there's quite a demand for this now. So yeah, I realized I quite enjoy that. Excellent. And were these uh, so these these was were paid uh, paid opportunities that arose? Yeah. Because there's a lot of there's a lot of possibilities out there to volunteer in different uh, blogs or websites to 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 write articles. But you're saying that you were finding that on the market there was actually demand for this type of work, uh, but but for paid paid work in the uh, science outreach or science uh, science writing um, science communication domain. Yeah, yeah, actually there is, um, but for different sort of companies. So some of them are maybe technology companies that want you to write about certain um, technologies. So it could be for companies that want you to write about their products, technologies, or it could be about like for publications that basically um, communicate the work of scientists as well. And um But with blog writing itself, I think it's a bit harder to make money just to create a blog and like it doesn't have to be, but um, I didn't go down that route specifically. Maybe, yeah, other people would 
boost up the jobs there. So excellent. So we're we're uh, at the the half mark of the the episode. We're going to take a little break, and then we're we're gonna. I'm gonna. I want to talk about this a little bit more about. Uh, about writing, about writing, about science, and about you know toning down language to reach a wider audience. It's something that interests me a lot. So we'll take a little break now, and we'll pick up where we left. Okay, sounds good. I'd really love you, the audience, to play an active role in the show. So if there's a theme you'd like to see covered on the show, or if there's a guest you'd like me to interview, head over to anchor.fm forward slash PhD and drop us a voice message to be featured on a future episode. On the Papa PhD website, you can also subscribe to our newsletter and get our resource sheet at the bottom of every page, and you can also leave us a written message in our contacts page. So just before the break, we were talking about um, how you transitioned to uh, to writing and to and you were freelancing, etc. What kind of pushed you to say, okay, I'm gonna dive, uh, I'm gonna dive into this project on on my own? which you kind of alluded to, but you must have had uh, around you people, well, but you have a job and now you're leaving a job. I don't know. Yeah. So I kind of, um, I kind of have, a, have this thing that's a bit weird, but like every October where I feel like I'm not like growing, it, then I'll like force some kind of change. Yeah. Um, so actually, yeah, the job in London started in October and then I handed in my notice like two years after in October. In October. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, it's a bit weird. But um, yeah, I decided that I couldn't really continue. Uh, it started getting a bit too repetitive for me and I felt like I needed to take on more creative work. So I decided to just plunge into it and it might seem like quite a scary idea. But I felt like um, there was enough opportunities out there that could keep me going, like financially and things. So I kind of just told myself something needs to change. It'll just like snap, kind of just like finish that. So it might seem a bit scary. So you felt I'm not growing anymore. I need to, it's like when a plant needs to be be changed, you know, to be put into a larger pot because the roots are not... uh, don't have any space to grow and to make the plant grow. Yeah, definitely. I like that analogy. Excellent. So, so then the thing is, you know, often people will uh, kind of will try to transition well from one job to another job, and you decided to, you know, to go at it uh, on your own as a freelancer. How was that? How did that feel internally? Well, clearly, you you wanted to grow, and, and there, it was there was that motivation, but. Was there a little bit of angst of, hmm, I'm leaving a position, you know, it's a job? Yeah, um, so, so I think there's like different sides to it. So I, I actually, um, I found, I started thinking like, how do I work best, like personally? Like, and I found that I work quite well, like kind of just tackling different problems creatively. So I found that actually it would be worth it to kind of work my own way. Um, even if I was leaving a very structured and like kind of cushiony kind of job, for me personally, it was worth it to just have the the change. Yeah, so I think that that was a big driver. Okay, so that that's okay. Basically, it was self. You were very self driven to 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 do that move, and it was the prospect of 
moving into something where you would kind of have the reins on whatever you were going to do was much more much stronger than the the of the staying in the safety of what you knew already yeah i i didn't want to be kind of in that structure anymore if that makes sense it yeah. does it totally does and um and so yeah how because you're saying that you saw offers uh, uh out there of, of freelance work uh how did you go about finding these offers were there platforms were there you know what was the process of finding your your place and and starting to to have a kind of a a flux of um of work that was that was coming and and starting to build up some uh, client base yeah so um i actually just remembered that i started writing a little bit earlier than i said which was probably a few years ago and it was an article in a magazine about um an expedition i went on to a man and it was just like about the fossils I think that's maybe when sort of it sparked first. It was the But first, then, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and then um, after that, there was the blogs um, during, yeah, during my editorial role. But afterwards, I basically looked online, uh, just like indeed.com. I don't know if that's like used elsewhere, but like we use a lot in the UK to search for jobs, just like freelance science writer. And also I was looking into Upwork And quite a lot of freelancers use Upwork. And I did actually uh, get a few jobs kind of writing for companies that wanted, like, wanted me to write something, like a science story about something related to their company. And, yeah, I saw a job advertised on Indeed, which is for a science magazine. So I started getting jobs that way. I'd also started seeing that there was, like, a big demand for scientists to like share their work with wider audiences and yeah so indeed was useful but also um kind of just asking around and like sending people emails can be effective but i haven't done that so much but i know that that's a good approach as well okay uh so now we we started we started at undergrad Uh, then then uh, grad school your masters and then uh, work at a company and now work as a freelance so these are there's these are different um, you know there's big these are big chapters let's say in in someone's life different stages of, of studying then first job then you know transitioning um, one thing that I haven't asked you yet and then and that I'm wondering is Uh, and maybe you've touched on it a little bit when you said you liked the the outdoors and being uh, on the field. But what have been in the, you know in these years, uh, maybe starting at your undergrad, what have been your strategies for uh, self care, for uh, uh, you know for recharging your batteries, let's say, and and uh, um, dealing with with sometimes dealing with these decisions. Uh, of life that can seem daunting or uh, scary. <laughs> um, yeah. Do, do you have any habits that, that uh, you can share uh, of, of how you stay healthy and peaceful inside, even when sometimes outside things can be a little bit, um, a little bit uh, more chaotic? Yeah, yeah, definitely still working on that. But uh, so, um, yeah, it was a big challenge during the Masters, um, kind of like balancing that with like having like a healthy, like self-care routine and things. 
but I think that it's got a lot better over the years. But I also think that when you're working um, kind of self-employed and freelance, it's really important to break up work from, well, time off, like downtime, separating the two, and that's an ongoing challenge. And um, I think there's like strategies that can be used. Like, for example, I'll like do most of my work in, in a separate room to to like my room. To separate and the space, the workspace from the live space. Yeah, right. yeah, to try and do that. And yeah, and yeah, kind of scheduling, like when you're going to work and when you're going to have downtime, things like that. And uh, in terms of like getting motivation to keep going, I think kind of just letting yourself rest and like not think about work mm-hmm. now mm-hmm. and again helps as well as doing things like that aren't related to work, like going out to the gym or going for like a walk or a hike, connecting to nature, I find like really recharging. So that's good for me. And also drawing and painting and playing guitar. And are these things that, that you've kept on doing even while you were in your master's and uh, uh, even while you were in London? Uh, yes, actually. Um, I've always had my guitar. So like sometimes if I had to vent, I would just like, write a guitar song <laughs> yeah excellent excellent it's it's really important and i think people can't um ignore that that or if they ignore that aspect they risk burning out and uh, and different things that that are not pleasant and that don't don't help you uh be fulfilled and be uh be uh peaceful and and thrive in in completely in whatever you you decide to do I definitely, yeah, I think it's really important to like have like good self care to like to recharge properly. Definitely. Yeah. Well, this said, I'm 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 seeing you, and you look like you're quite uh, you're you're very zen. That's the feeling that I'm getting from you. You don't seem to be someone who gets <laughs> who's very uh, uh, you know um, unnerved or or you no. Know, you seem to be already at a baseline that's very stable <laughs> all right thank you <laughs> uh, now another thing about all those years uh, you know starting from undergrad until now uh, that i like to ask people is whether there were people uh, that, that that inspired you at different moments or that helped you in in little ways uh, along the way that uh, and that maybe you know shared a message with you that you can share with the with the listeners that 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 can help them uh, uh, that can help them in their journey too. Yeah, so um, I think just during my undergrad, I had so, some good advice from a lecturer. It was just to like um, kind of speak out more, and I think that kind of relates a lot to like people who like might be kind of introverts and just kind of do the work in a class or, and I think kind of engaging more with more people is important. Yeah. And I kind of took that forward with me into other areas as well. But yeah, I think that was more than just about uni, but also like other areas life of life. In general, yeah. In for like networking and yeah, also just like communicating science as well. And yeah, definitely. Engaging more with more people. Yeah, to to put yourself out there, yeah, and and yeah. For, it's not some people have it naturally, uh, and and but for some people, it's not natural, and and it's something it's kind of a muscle that you can train, right? Yeah, definitely. All right, now let, let's uh, talk, let's talk a little bit more about na- nature evolve, and um, one of the things that 
that I saw first uh, are the, the pictures that you share uh, on social media, which are often very beautiful. Uh, but it's not only that. Uh, and I'd like you to, to kind of, because I've, I've since found out that you share a lot of resources on NatureVolve uh, that, are, that can be helpful to people out there that are, that are uh, the students or researchers. So talk, talk a little bit more about the project, how, how, you, how, how you know, the inception of it and how it grew to be what it is today and, and uh, how you got to, to build this, this, uh, uh, the, the, the website and, and your online presence. So it started when I saw there was a need for scientists to communicate their projects with wider audiences. So, and I saw that like print media was sort of dying and I thought a digital magazine would be a good way to, to communicate information as opposed to just blogging. Um, so yeah, and also thought it would be like fun to do because it involves design and like things like that. So I started out just kind of interviewing a few people that I'd engaged with online, uh, researchers. I used Twitter, I started uh, developing community on there, speaking with some people, being like, would you be interested in this kind of idea? And I thought, oh, that sounds cool. So interviewed a few of them and then got some text and put together the first issue. And uh, I wasn't sure how it was going to go, but it was quite well received. So I was like, oh, that's cool. So it kind of evolved from the first issue, like the idea sort of changed but it didn't change too much. So, yeah, um, it does like a few things. So it communicates science with wider audiences, but also bridges science and art. And I think that like a lot of subjects have got very pigeonholed um, in academia. I think quite a few people agree or quite a few people have reached out and said that they agree. So it actually brings subjects together by featuring different scientific subjects, but also like the work of artists the first thing that I that attracted me was the, the the bridging with the art. I really like that interface, and and I think it, it, some great things uh, can you know are born out of that, and fun things, especially especially for us uh, sciencey <laughs> people. Um, but uh, I was just wondering, how do you go about uh, reaching out to artists? Uh, are there contributors? I guess there are contributors who who write uh, or who share. Uh, how do you go about doing that? Uh, how, you know, how was it to, you already kind of alluded to the first issue and how you, you, uh, you, you got to that point. But today, how is it, how is the day in Clarissa Wright's uh, life in terms of nature evolve? Yeah, so um, I'll reach out to artists in a similar way to scientists, often on Twitter. Um, so there's actually a big art community on there and, and nature lovers as well. So I think nature sort of brings them together. But um, yeah, so there's quite a mixture of things involved in the magazine. I guess I like the variety of that, which is, yeah, contacting people online, um, often on social media, um, like engaging people online, like through posts and things. And um, yeah, finding people who have an interesting story, interesting project and emailing them and like interviewing them and getting some information on what they do. With artists, I'll send them some guidelines um, so they could send me like their work and then see if it's a fit for the magazine and then put that content together and, and design the magazine using Adobe InDesign. So, yeah, there's different aspects involved. And did you teach yourself these, uh, like uh, InDesign and uh, the, the, type, the type of software you use? Uh, also, 
your your website or did you kind of uh, were you self-taught in that domain too um yes yeah, so Uh, self-taught with Adobe InDesign, but something I really wanted to learn because I've always sort of wanted to do a bit more art kind of stuff in my life. So, um, yeah, I actually followed tutorials online. I think they're on YouTube, but I think you can get them on like lynda.com and stuff. So like there's tons of them, but I basically just learned the basics and I found that I quite enjoyed it. And yeah, so... Um, same with um, web design and things like that. Cool. And one other thing that uh, that I found interesting uh, on the website uh, is that you can register your interest. So you can, if you want to contribute to kind of, you can get in touch, uh, people can get in touch with you and then can start a uh, a contribution towards the, the magazine. Is that, is that right? Uh, yeah, that's right. So I find out a bit more about what they do and then um, see if there's a way that can be involved in future issues. Mm -hmm. So people out there who'd like to contribute, you just go to naturevolve.com and I'll share the links on the show notes and uh, you can, uh, the button says register interest and it's, it's really easy. Um, the other thing that I really, really like uh, about what you've done uh, and uh, it has to do with providing resources to uh, to the people who visit the website and you have resources on careers on finance uh, human resources lifestyle you have a lot of uh, a lot of uh, articles that that you've i guess curated yourself uh, and placed in here um, how did you you know how did you come to the idea of creating that and how do you go about finding the different articles the things that you're that you're adding into this library Yeah, so I've got like some main categories. So um, there's conservation, there's science and art, there's art, there's written word, uh, and now there's health and wellness. So um, I find that if I see something that fits well into those categories, then I'll, I'll talk with the person. But I'll mostly kind of have a look at what's going on online, mostly on social media, see if there's something interesting that could be a good fit, and then get in touch to 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 uh, to feature it on the website that's very cool excellent so now we're we're getting to the almost to the end of the 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 interview and you know you, it was really interesting seeing how you got uh, here but i i'd really like you to think of you know your your journey up up to today and to imagining or thinking of someone who might be listening who might be interested in writing in doing scientific writing or science communication of or it could be a scientific illustration but you know someone who wants to diverge from research per se and do something more creative uh, or add to their research a creative uh, a creative aspect right it could be that too uh, and what i'd really like you to do would be to Imagine that this person is still finishing their master's or finishing their PhD. You know, what could could someone uh, with these types of interests do right away to kind of prepare the path, prepare the the field for uh, a transition into that domain later on? What what are the resources they can use, maybe, or what are the skills that they can start learning, and and what are the best ways to kind of train, start training themselves towards that objective? Yeah, so I think if someone's already doing a PhD or a research program, that there there probably are quite a few opportunities 
they can get involved in, um, such as doing illustrations, um, being involved in graphic design for a paper. Um, also, could get in touch maybe with the, the the press office at the university to do some blog writing. I think like trying out a blog article is like a really good way of like testing the water and giving it a try. Um, and then if you find that's good, then um, yeah, going out there and seeing what paid opportunities there are. But I think it's good to develop a portfolio at first, even if um, they're not, it's not like paid work, but if you could do it as part of your current work, that would be really good. So if you're wanting to communicate your research, like for a poster and you wanted to make a bit more visual, you could try out like Adobe Photoshop or Adobe InDesign, uh, try out a graphics tablet, um, see how that goes. Yeah, if you can involve that in your work, you can put that in your portfolio and then start approaching more commercial opportunities afterwards. Mm-hmm. It's funny, actually, I, there there are some free versions of, of, uh, of the Adobe suite that, that, that exist. Uh, the one that I use is uh, GIMP, which is the equivalent of Photoshop. Oh, I've got uh, yeah. You ha- yeah, and so maybe you know what I'm. I'm. I think I'm gonna. If I'm gonna share uh, the links to those resources because it is true that if you start doodling with these things, you start learning. Uh, you know, on the go and hands on. So I'm gonna sh- share the links to these to the free versions. Uh, uh, on I think Inkscape is the one for InDesign. Uh, on the on the show notes uh, of your episode for sure. No, but that's that's a really really great uh, piece of advice. Uh, download the software and start playing with it for sure for sure uh plus plus what you mentioned which is uh trying to start building a small portfolio be it on a on the university blog or something related it for sure if you're interviewing and you have something to show there's nothing better uh you know it's much better than just saying oh i like to write or blah 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 uh definitely and um and uh, did you did you have any other advice that, that you wanted to to maybe share, maybe to do with uh, preparing for a transition into a different domain, or or maybe to do uh, with with uh, you know staying uh, staying motivated and balanced? Um, yeah. So for the different domain, uh, maybe just asking around what other people who maybe have been doing, like from your same university. Um, finding out what it's like kind of testing the water a bit with different things maybe doing like odd jobs in different industries or or different types of work and also for recharging maybe doing something totally different to what you normally do such as like going for a run or something and going outside or for me it's like doing something creative like drawing recharging you you mentioned odd jobs and um you also mentioned during during the you know when you're talking of, of your journey that you, you had this job which wasn't exactly what you wanted but you ended up getting you know taking some positive uh, some positive results later on there's some ripple effects from it later on that you didn't expect um, so would you say that you know if you if, let's say you finish your degree and you you haven't found uh, something yet uh, so would you say that you know finding odd jobs uh, while looking for something that that's more that more fits what you want would be something that you would uh, advise definitely um because there might be things along the way that pop up or there might be like transferable skills from those jobs that become an advantage to something that you might want to do more of later on yeah yeah excellent uh 
Clarissa, the last thing that I that I want to ask you, and we're reaching the end of the interview, is how can people reach you uh, or follow you on social media? Is there are there some uh, uh, Twitter handle or Instagram that that you that you can share for people to see what you're up to and to follow Nature Evolve and uh, and maybe to get involved? Yeah, um, well, I'd say that um, if you've got any like random ideas or creative ideas on how to like kind of share your ideas with wider audiences or like to do with what you do and your research, then just like um, like try and share it. And people might think it's it's cool, like on Instagram or social media. And don't be afraid to share share those ideas. And uh, yeah, so um, My website is naturevolve.com and you can go to naturevolve.com slash subscribe and get free digital issues that way. And I'm also on Twitter, which is, which is the at thing and naturevolve after that. And also on Instagram. So. Perfect. Clarissa, this was uh, great. I, I really enjoyed chatting with you and uh, it's really cool to be chatting with the other side of the ocean. To me, it's always, uh, it's always special. Um, and, uh, I, I find your story to be, you know, very, uh, very compelling in a way because it's very real. It's, it's representative of, of what's, uh, of what's out there. And, uh, and I think it's a good example of how you can, you can navigate, uh, without too much, um, too, too much angst and, and, uh, and, uh, and, and anxiety, Uh, navigate uh, that that transition between academia and then the the job market, and then eventually, in your case, finding that you know what I'm a freelancer. I'm going I'm going to develop my activities and uh, and my projects uh, uh, on my own and on my own terms. Let's say. Yeah, definitely. I've really enjoyed chatting. Thank you. Thank you so much, and uh, and good luck with all your projects. Thanks very much. You too. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Papa PhD podcast. Head over to papaphd.com for show notes and for more food for thought about non-academic postgrad careers. I'll always be happy to share inspiring stories, new ideas, and useful resources here on the podcast. So make sure you subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts to always keep up with the discussion and to hear from our latest guests.